Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Alex Dilling, executive chef of the two Michelin-starred restaurant The Greenhouse in London's Mayfair. Coming up on today's show... Alex tells us how he's been getting through lockdown. We have to eat twice a day, so preparing lunch and preparing dinner, that, that can kill like two, three hours of my day, no problem. Phil dishes up yet more world-class advice. Don't dress as a waiter when you're going out for dinner. And Alex reveals the best time to go socialising with a chef. Yeah, I think a lot of funny and stupid things have probably happened after 1am. After All that and a whole lot more as Alex talks us through his story and journey to date. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button on any of the podcast apps. Please also give us a like and a share across your networks. Let's share the stories. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, your host, Phil Street. Today, I'm delighted to welcome to the the podcast uh, someone who's regarded by many as one of London's top chefs. And I don't know whether he'll appreciate me saying that or not, Um, but very, very delighted to welcome Alex Dilling. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Yeah, another day uh, in lockdown, but um, you know I'm healthy and, uh, and my family is healthy, so I cannot complain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good philosophy. I like I like the outlook. So um, maybe you could kick things off for me by just giving me a brief overview of who you are and what you're currently doing. Other than lockdown, uh, as you said, uh, yeah. Other than that, uh, I'm Alex Dilling. I'm the chef of uh, a restaurant in Mayfair called the Greenhouse. Uh, the restaurant currently has two Michelin stars. It's a fine dining restaurant. We serve contemporary French food. Um, about forty five seats, and yeah, that's kind of my life at the moment. I mean, when you're a chef, wherever you're working at that at that moment in time, that really is is your life for the most part. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's where I'm at now. Do you guys still have uh, one of the the best wine lists in London? Yeah, I mean the best. I mean, I guess that depends who you talk to, but one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest in the country. Yeah. And how does that work for you as a as a chef? Does that is that exciting in terms of trying to create matches, or do you just go for it with the food and see what what happens? It's exciting in the sense that. You know, when guests come that are super into wine, they're not only going to get, you know, the food aspect of, of a wonderful experience. I know that that's going to be matched by by a huge range of wine. Um, in terms of my involvement, when you get to any restaurant at this level, you know, you have a team of incredibly talented sommeliers that, you know, the last thing they want is me telling them what they shouldn't, shouldn't do, right? Yeah. But um, it's really something that rounds out the kind of, package and rounds out the experience of of coming to a restaurant like this and so for us you know we like to think obviously we're doing something very special with the food we can be sure that the guests that do want to drink something really special will have that complete option uh, when they come and eat with us yeah i have to say well you know that i've been lucky enough to eat in the greenhouse myself and my business partner came in last summer a long long time ago now and I mean, I'm a. I love my food anyway, but I have to say that the experience that we had was every single dish that we had was responsible for for making us make this noise that you make whenever you're eating excellent <laughs> yeah. food, which is just oh. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, and then you. Know, I'd encourage also people to go on your Instagram page because the um, the precision precision in your um, presentation is just 
off the charts. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I think it's really important. Like a lot of people talk about that and the, you know, the, the how the food looks and everything. And I think when you get to a certain level, it, it all matters, right? I mean, yeah. it needs to be delicious, but you know, my mom makes delicious food, right? And you know, it needs to tick every other box too. You know, the the show at the table, you know, from whoever's serving it, how beautiful it is aesthetically, like the plate that it's on, what's the texture of that plate? Like all these things need to be considered um, when you get to that level. And also you're paying that price point, right? I mean, you know, we have to take every, every aspect of, of that eating experience and make sure it's from what we think is perfect. Yeah. So let's rewind the clock. You're, you were born in Britain, I think, but your accent yeah. certainly doesn't tell us that. Yes, I was, uh, yeah, I sound American completely, but uh, I was born in West London in in Hammersmith. Yeah. And uh, my mom's American. My dad is English. So I I lived in, uh, lived in the UK until I was about seven. And then, uh, and then I moved to California um, where my mom grew up. Tough. Yeah, really tough. (laughs) Perfect weather, nice people. And, And I think like, you know, until I started living on my own later, that was kind of, I think, the deal with my parents. Like, oh, we'll spend a few years in your country, then we'll spend a few years in mine. Um, because we did move back and forth a little bit, you know. Right. Um, so we stayed in California for a while, and we moved back to back to London. And um, London is where I kind of consider home, though. I think I've spent the majority of my, my life here. Um but yeah, when I was around, I guess like 17 or something like that, I mean, I'd already had a big interest in food and cooking. Um, my grandfather is, is, was, well, was an incredible chef and, you know, I cooked with him a lot and my mom is an incredible chef. So it's always been a huge part of my family is uh, cooking together, eating really well, really fortunate to travel with my family when I was young, uh, places like Italy and things like that and be exposed to just really good products and good food and so i've always had a, a big appreciation for for eating well and uh yes when i was around i guess 17 yeah i wanted to go to to culinary school at that moment it wasn't kind of yet the the thing to be doing i guess you could say uh so my parents weren't so into it so they said okay go study something else for a year and if it doesn't stick we'll let you go to culinary school and right. so i went I went to study uh, psychology at, uh, at Richmond University, which uh, was a complete disaster. I think I went to about four classes and spent the rest of the year kind of goofing around and having a good time. <laughs> um, but then as soon as that year passed and, and the, the next year started up, I enrolled for, for culinary school. And it was a three-year course, and it was just, uh, just incredible. I loved it. I think when, when that's kind of your love and your passion, you know, you, you get sucked in a hundred percent when you, when you start. And so that was just an incredible experience for me. So that, that hit you quite quickly then in terms of you were, you felt, um, yeah, this is, this is the route for me. Oh yeah. Like 100%, no question. You know, I already was pretty sure, but then starting that and being, you know, submerged in food and cooking and conversation around it and working with ingredients, you know, I was just like, Oh, yeah, this is going to be my life 100%. You know, I'd, I'd never been happier. Yeah. And I'm also someone, you know, I'm not so good at sitting still or sitting, you know, at a desk or whatever. So it's kind of an active thing. And that was that was just perfect for me. You know, I was, you know, in a kitchen all day on my feet and around a bunch of other young guys. And oh, it was great. 
Um, so I did that. And um, after that, I, I kind of, I worked around in London for a bit, but didn't stay anywhere too long and kind of simple places. And, and I was, uh, I was with someone at the time who wanted to, to move to New York. So I thought, okay, that can be an interesting place to go work. I was really young. And so I went to New York and um, I kind of checked like the Michelin list. Okay. What's, what are the best restaurants? And I stashed around at a bunch of them and, you know, spending one or two days in their kitchens. And I really wanted to pick somewhere that uh, I thought, you know, firstly that I would stay for a while. And, and secondly, that, uh, that I thought I could have an impact, you know, that I wouldn't just be a number. And, and I think that's a really important, important step as a chef to, to not necessarily pick a restaurant to work in, or I mean, it probably makes sense for any field, but you know, because it's the one that's considered the best one is to pick a place where you think you can hang, have longevity yep. and you think you can, you know, stand out in the crowd and, and, you know, be someone there, not just another number. And um, the restaurant of uh, Alain Ducasse uh, was opening, who's obviously you know considered by many as the best chef of uh, of our time. And uh, so I went and did a did a trial there, and then they gave me a kind of a, a sit down exam to do before I could be considered for the job, which was interesting, right? Which I'd never seen before. You know, it was really like, okay, sit down in the HR office. Here's an exam, and it was all questions food related, you know, like okay, where are white truffles from? What temperature would you cook foie gras and things like this. And, right. and, uh, luckily I, I did all right. And, uh, and I have worked in there. The, um, what's the answer to those two questions? <laughs> well, foie gras, it depends. You know, I, I think around like 58 is the, is the sweet spot for foie gras. Right. Um, a lot of people tend to cook it higher and for white truffle, the answer I said was Alba, but, you know, I've since learned that that's not really the case. You know, there's areas around Alba, you know, that it makes more sense for the, the, the truffles to come from when I speak to my suppliers and whatnot. But yeah, if you ask, you know, 99% of people is, yes, where white truffles come from Alba in Italy, right? Yeah. We, we get uh, black truffles in the UK, right? Not really black truffles. I mean, they're more like a summer truffle. Okay. I was just I was contemplating uh, training my dog to um, to go truffle hunting. Oh, very nice! <laughs> um, another, another lockdown um, lockdown project, but yeah, um, well, maybe not. Maybe that's just a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And uh, and yes, yeah, so I ended up staying there for around four or five years, and it was just like I loved it. It was incredible. Um, he's a chef who's really focused on product. You know, super high standards. It was a hard experience, but I mean, it was really for me where I, I got super serious at that point um, about cooking and yeah. about where I was going. Um, my drive went up like tenfold. And um, yeah, I would say if there's any part of my career that was really a game changer for me, it was that working in, in that kitchen um, with his philosophy about food, the, you know, the structure of the kitchen, the discipline. It was just amazing. How how old would you have been at this point? Like uh, probably twenty one. Okay, so right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, after I've been there for like four or five years, there was a uh, me and another sous chef. We went to to go work at this caviar house. That was it. Actually, was like on the same street, which was uh, which was funny. It was on the fifty fifty fourth in Madison, and in, in the middle of Manhattan in New York. And it was like a, a small caviar house and took that over for like three years and and it was it was cool it was like 20 seats 
you know, there was a little counter where people could come and buy caviar. And, you know, we were doing a tasting menu and using ton of caviar. And it was just great. And um, stayed there for three years. And it was a, a good experience in the sense to, okay, now I start to, to cook dishes I want to make, to, to learn what, what's involved in the creative process, which is, you know, a lot harder than, than people think. You know, it's one thing like, when you're at home to make a dish that you think is interesting and it's tasty, but you know, when people come to a fine dining restaurant spending a lot of money, the dish needs to make sense on every level. So that was a really good experience in that sense. And I, I got, while I was working there, another sous chef who was at uh, Ducasse had moved to France to work with this chef, uh, Helen DeRose, who he'd worked with maybe 10, 15 years prior. Yeah. And um, he was her corporate chef at this moment. So I've been to this caviar house now for like three years. And uh, they were looking for an executive chef for the for her restaurant at the Connaught in London. And um, me and my girlfriend at the time, uh, now my wife, uh, we were kind of ready to be back in Europe. Uh, she's from France. And so I got that opportunity and it just seemed like, okay, well, you know, it was a huge, a huge job from, from what I was used to. You know, I'd just kind of been, uh, you know, a head chef with like three, four guys in the kitchen or whatnot to going, taking over a restaurant in the Connaught with, you know, 20 guys in the kitchen, you know, a huge operation. But I think it's one of those moments you have to say, okay, fuck it. Like, you know, you dive in, <laughs> dive in head first and, you know, trust, uh, trust you can make it happen. And, and uh, a few months later, we were in London and, you know, that was it. Um, and it was really, really hard, you know, like it was a, a big pressure. It's, it's a huge name, you know, the Connaught Hotel holds a big, uh, big reputation. I was going to say you've got well, you've got two a double whammy there, haven't you? You've got big reputation of the Connaught and a big reputation of Helen de Rosa as well. Yeah, and so it was tricky because uh, I arrived. I don't remember what year it was, but it was like the month after the Michelin Guide came out, right? So they just like reconfirmed their their two stars, right? And so I knew kind of like okay, I'll be there for a full year before the Michelin comes out again. So if, if, if we, the following October, if they lose the star, it's a hundred percent my fault. So that put like a yeah. whole other level of pressure <laughs> for me. You know, I knew like, okay, my first year, we're not going to, you know, get a third star. Like, it's like one way to, one way for me to go. And, uh, so it was, uh, yeah, a super challenging year. I put a ton of pressure on myself, you know, rightly so, you know, she, she'd obviously made a decision to trust me with a restaurant. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was hard, especially like the first four or five months were just incredibly hard, like not sleeping a lot and, you know, worrying and trying to build a team. But, um, I mean, I ended up staying with her for, for almost five years. And, you know, by that, for the last two years, I was taking care of, uh, you know, all the events she was doing around the world. I was overseeing her restaurant in Paris and, and we became really close and, you know, I can call her a friend now and it ended up being a really incredible experience for me. Can you remember, um, that evening at Fortnum and Mason, uh, a little story around my introduction to Helen DeRose. If not, I'll happily, I'll regale you. Yeah, you can remind me. I mean, I'm sure I remember it if you, if you remind me a little bit. Yeah, do you remember? It was a, it was a pop-up that you were doing in Fortnum and Mason at 45, well, now 45 German Street. I think it might have been. Yeah. Yeah, it was something else at the time, yeah. Yeah. And you'd set up like a, I suppose, a prep station or, or whatever it was uh, on the way to the toilet. Yeah. Um, just, just because it was the only place you could. And I remember getting up and uh, going to the toilet, which is hardly groundbreaking. And then coming back and uh, Helen 
uh, pulled me to one side and asked me if I could get her a bottle of water. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I was quite impressed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do remember that. <laughs> and I remember you stepping in um, like with a, a look of almost panic on your face to say, look, no, 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 he's a guest. He's a guest. He's not, he's not part of the team. Yeah, yeah. I was, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I remember that clearly now. Yeah. And that was um, oh, the, the learning I took from that is uh, don't dress as a waiter when you're going out for dinner. Yeah, yeah. Check check the uniform of the staff to where you're going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, she. I mean, she handled that with uh, real humility. I mean, it, it, you know, there wasn't. Um, I almost felt like she was embarrassed beyond words. Oh, no, of course, you know, she is a super humble person. So any situation like that, things like that happen, especially you know, you're in the middle of doing an event, and you know, you have a lot of things on your head. Uh, Absolutely. But um, no, she's a humble person, and she was embarrassed. Uh, yeah, I never actually made it to. Uh, Helen de Rose when you were there. Oh wow! Okay. Despite all of the uh, the the talk about that we would, but we um, yeah. So I never got to experience it while you're there, but obviously we've experienced um, the greenhouse since. But it's an amazing place. I mean, when you go to Le Conard, it's just beautiful. The day before I started there, uh, me and my wife went just to have a look, so I knew my way to get to work. I don't know if you do that when you start a new job. You know, you you check your route the day before just to make sure nothing will happen and you're late or whatever. Yeah, sensible. And um, yeah, you walk up in front of that building on that on that little kind of corner in Mayfair. It's just something incredible. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. It's a special place. And when you go to eat there, you know, they have two bars that are just both stunning in their own right. And yeah, it's a cool experience to go eat there. I've been back uh, only once actually since I left, but I had a very good time. Yeah. You, you said you were there five years? Yeah, so five years. And, uh, and yeah, the last two years, I was kind of bouncing between London and Paris. And, you know, we did some amazing trips around the world. Um, me and Helen and, and the corporate pastry chef, we did events in New York, Japan, Mexico. Um, just incredible. Incredible experience, yeah. Yeah. And then you, you moved to the greenhouse. Yeah. So I've been in the greenhouse for, yeah, maybe just over a year and a half now. And it's been it's been a whirlwind. Uh, it's been crazy, but but a lot of fun. And, and yeah, another learning experience. You know, it's, it's, it was full of challenges at the beginning, full of stress, questioning. but. Um, I'm a big believer. You put in the work, the you know, the extra mile at the beginning, and it and it kind of pays off later in the journey. And that, and I think that the pure example is uh, is the greenhouse. You know, the first yeah. six months, I, I really, me and my chef de cuisine, we like glued ourselves to that restaurant and and just you know had tunnel vision about it and what we were doing, what we, where we wanted it to go, and 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 with the food and everything. And I feel like that's starting to pay off now, and we're starting to get like you know, a little bit of buzz around the restaurant. People are speaking a bit about the food really positively. And and yeah. I think that's uh, because of what we did early on starting there. Yeah. How do you, you mentioned earlier on that you're, you're not very good at sitting still. Yeah. Um, we're in a, I suppose, a, a, a situation at the moment that maybe requires you to do that a little bit yeah. more than normal. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you get by at the moment? What are you doing to keep busy? Well, so, you know, we have to eat twice a day. So preparing lunch and preparing dinner, <laughs> that, that can kill like two, three hours of my day, no problem. Uh, <laughs> and then you have to eat the meal. So there's another like at least two hours gone. Um, you know, I try to do a bit of exercise each day, uh, do a walk each day. Um, yeah, I think me and my wife were not good at like, we can't sit and watch like, TV series or movie for four hours on the couch just doesn't work for us. We're both right. in the industry also. We're used to being active and stuff. So 
you know, after one hour being on the couch watching a show saying we need to move around or clean or something. So, you know, we're just making it happen, right, as best as possible. But at this moment now, after six weeks, yeah, we're starting uh, starting to go a little bit uh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. What do you what do you like to, to cook at home? If you're uh, you're in work and you've got to be massively precise, does that precision go out the door as, as soon as you walk out the door? Mm, a little bit. I mean, at work, yeah, I'm kind of crazy about the detail of everything. You know, it's something we say a lot is detail, detail, detail. You know, if we have an extra 20 seconds before we send a plate, we're saying detail. And that means just like check the plate again, you know, look at it from every angle. You know, I mean, you've seen the food, everything has to be in its place and there's no there's no yeah. margin of error there at home i'm not like that at all but i i enjoy making simple things that are yeah cooked properly but i'm not worried about if one thing is you know out of its place as long as it's delicious you're not you're not throwing pans across the kitchen then no 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 not at all i have to clean it up so i have to so. yeah but I, but i love cooking at home you know it's such a different uh it's a completely different experience i mean when you when you start to work in a restaurant it's uh and then when you become a head chef it's, it's very different you know like the cooking aspect of it, it changes completely you know yeah my my role now in the restaurant is more i cook but i'm more working on creation of new dishes and things like that it's very rare that i that i do the preparation of the the food for the menu you know the the mise en place we call it you know there's there's people that are trained really well and, and paid to do that you know and me and my chef de cuisine were more in the 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 role of you know developing new dishes then training and trickling down this information throughout the team to cook them properly once we've developed them and yeah um, so i love when when i get a cook at home because you know i do all, all of those things that i don't necessarily do on the day-to-day so for me it's a really enjoyable experience to cook at home i yeah. like it two days a week it's perfect not this six weeks in a row thing but um no i really enjoy cooking uh cooking here yeah i'm trying desperately not to um to make the uh, the podcast about the virus, I mean, you can't you can't really avoid it, but um, <clears throat> it's uh, yeah, it's kind of consuming everybody. Oh uh, uh, yeah, completely. Yeah. But um, talk uh, talk me through if you if you would uh, if you're allowed to. I don't know if you are, but your kind of creative process. So how do you form dishes? Basically, where does where does it come from? So the way we work on the. Um... On our menu. So like I said before, it's kind of what I'm doing every day and uh, is working on creation because it's such a long process yeah. to go from point A to, you know, till you're happy with something being on the menu. So for an example, like we, it's not like we do like a three month, okay, we change the whole menu. It's always like one dish is in the works. When that dish is finalized, it goes on the menu. So like, say for example, we know that green asparagus is going to start to be good enough to use in three weeks. Yeah. So we can start to get it in three weeks before, even though it won't be in its perfect state, we can still start working with the product, seeing what we want to do with it. Right. And that's the original like seed of a new dish is saying, okay, the next product we want to get on the menu is green asparagus. We get it in, we think, okay, do we want to put green asparagus with smoked deal? Do we want it to be more vegetarian? Do we want it with an egg? How do we want to treat the green asparagus? And, and that's really it, you know, and, and, we think about what techniques we know and how we want to do that. And, and it's from discussion, you know, I might sometimes have a really clear idea on what I want to do, but a lot of it's discussion, trial and error, you know, you cook the vegetable, you, you cut it in a different way and um, pairing it with a few different things. And 
know, usually with that kind of three to four week uh, process, we can get something we're hopefully happy with. But it's very, it's very long. It can be extremely frustrating. Um, I know as well from my sous chefs and stuff because I ask them as well. You know, I think it's important to work on dishes for me and and um, and things. And they present a lot of things to me, and and I'm quite a tough uh, tough critic, you know. But yeah. But I think it's important that uh, it's exactly as I think it should be, and um, well, but yeah, the, was it's your the, name, right? On the uh, yeah, the yeah, exactly. You know, I need to, and I want to be excited about it. You know, once you put a dish on the menu, you're gonna see that like a hundred times a day. Yeah. If you're not excited about it, and you're gonna look at it a hundred times a day, it's gonna be depressing, right? So, I really want a, a dish. It's only menu ready when I'm like, wow, I'm I'm super excited to see that all day. I'm super excited for our guests to see it, and um, and and that's really important to us, also. Yeah, yeah. It all it all stems from product, you know, like getting getting hold of amazingly good product, which we're so fortunate. We have so many good suppliers now. I mean, I've been in London, you know, for a while now, so I have a, a really good uh, supplier list, and yeah, having amazing product and and letting that be the inspiration. Yeah. Do you, and what about uh, from a technique perspective? Because uh, I guess there's always uh, new techniques coming in play with using equipment uh, that, you, that people ne- haven't necessarily seen before. Do you do you jump on board with with that, or are you fairly classical in your approach? I'd say we're more classic. You know, I like our food. To, our, our food is very classic in our flavor profiles. Yeah, and I want our food to seem really approachable. You know, that's important to me. I don't want our guests to come in and think like, oh, what the fuck am I eating? What is that? I really want yeah. it to seem, <laughs> to seem clear, you know? Like, I don't put a lot of things on the plate. It, it's very elegant, and it comes across very simple, but all of our stuff has a ton of technique behind it, you know? There's always a lot of processes with our food to get it what we think is the perfect uh, degree of cooking. I was talking to someone yesterday about that, about the, you know, create technique and, and product and and i think the inspiration like i said to you has always come from a product to an extent of maybe 80 percent. and there's the 20 percent where we're really inspired by technique and there's many times that we develop techniques that we think are interesting and we'll kind of create a dish around that technique in the sense that we'll say okay this technique we've whatever we've figured out how to make this tweel that's flexible that we could fill and we haven't really thought of a flavor profile for that yet. So that's kind of 20% of the time from this technique that we've developed. We'll say, okay, well, this is coming this season, tomatoes. Let's dry them. Let's make a tomato tweel that we can then fill with sea urchin or whatever. And yeah. so there's the, there is a percentage of the time where, where our creation is driven by technique for sure. Yeah. And in terms of you and, and kind of your inspiration, do you, do you look globally for inspiration as to what other people are doing or does it all come from within no i mean you i think everyone is is inspired by what everyone else is doing about what you see around you you know i mean everything is inspiring kind of you know it can it can happen whenever you know i mean the dream would be that you could like sit in a room and just say okay i'm gonna sit here for 20 minutes and be inspired and come up with a dish but it's just doesn't work like that you know you never know when you know, I read tons of cookbooks like everyone. And when I get inspired, it's it's usually not like by a dish, but it could be like the way somebody's cut a vegetable or, or you know, the, the color tone, you know, I might be, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, we're going to make a dish that's just different shades of green, you know, and yeah, um, 
it's just, yeah, little things sometimes inspire you and you don't even know it. And then later when you're working on a dish, you know, it's like these little reference points that you've seen. And, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, especially now with like Instagram and stuff, there's, you're exposed to so much food and so much gastronomy. You're seeing what everyone's doing around the world. So yeah, you're constantly, your brain is constantly bombarded with ideas and, and, uh, and, and images of food. So yeah. Um, yeah. Where's, um, this is probably quite an open question, but where's, where's the best place that you've eaten? So I think I have three best experiences. I mean, we're talking about gastronomic fine dining, right? Because I mean, yeah, I'm very happy to talk about that. (laughs) Some of my favorite things to eat are like tacos, like on the side of the street in Mexico can be like incredible, but three experiences, like when we talk about like, you know, gastronomic restaurant that were my best and I, I kind of put them on the same level. One is a per se in New York, and I ate there with a guy who was working there, and then he was moving to Thomas Keller's other restaurant, the French Laundry. So they did a kind of farewell dinner for him, and he he brought me along. So it was the two of us, and they just completely blew us up, and it was amazing. Like twenty course meal at per se, as you can imagine, was just oh. off the charts. It's got a great view as well, isn't it? It's elevated up a little bit. If I... uh, everything i mean the hospitality i feel like they read you the second you sit down and they they know how to treat you perfectly um it's just every part of that experience is incredible so that i mean that was really a memorable one yeah and then i i think it's almost like the french uh the french counterpart to to per se and it's uh um hotel de vie and chrissier it's a three-star michelin and um i went there with a few chef friends and it was just like it was old school, but modern and just, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, there was not one thing you could say about the whole experience from the service of the food that wasn't mind blowing. Um, incredible experience. And then the other one was, was when I was in uh, Mexico with Helen, actually, and there's a restaurant called Pujol, which I think is probably the more famous of fine dining restaurants in, in that part of the world. And it was just unreal, right. unreal. I mean, it was it was a fine dining restaurant, but you had some courses where it was a taco, and at the end you had a churro, but it was like the best churro you've ever had, and you were in a beautiful setting, you know, and they had gardens outside growing their own herbs, and it was just a mind blowing meal. Yeah. So those three are my kind of top uh, top experiences. Yeah, I'm supposed to be going to uh, El Cela de Can Roca in oh very nice in very July, nice. Um, but I. Uh, um, we're we're leaving it as late as we can before we have to kind of maybe change our plan. But yeah, of course. Oh, oh I hope for you, you can still make it. It took us eleven months to get a table. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. I went actually uh, a while ago. I went with some colleagues and and Helen again. I was very fortunate. We ate a lot together, <laughs> and um, it was funny because you know you go in, and you're in Barcelona and you go around in the the Bocaria, the market, and yeah. We, we drank a bit too much during the day and like it's kind of a long car journey from there we we're all sleeping all the way to the restaurant and all the way back <laughs> but uh no it's a special experience i had um somebody else that i know um said that, and he's a chef said that of all of the places that he's been to in the world the wine experience matched the food experience and coming from a chef i, was, I thought that was quite profound and and just makes me even more upset that we might not be able to get there <laughs> Uh, yeah, I really hope for you. But I think all of those restaurants, they'll kind of try to move your reservation, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And we'll go with the flow. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, but yeah, that'll be the, that's a, a, a tick a, a dream restaurant off the list. Per se is actually on the list 
uh, I hadn't heard of, well, I have heard of uh, Hotel de Vier, but I've not heard of Pujol, if I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, yeah Pujol, yeah. Well, if you're in Mexico, it's a must for sure. Right. Anyway, I've, I've been very, very selfish. I've just taken you where I, where I wanted to take the conversation, but um, this is supposed to be right. you and your story. <laughs> Have you got any uh, any examples of any uh, stupid or funny stories from from your time anywhere across your career? Stupid or funny? I mean, it's hard for me to to think of one in particular. But you know, in this line of work, you know, you're with a bunch of young people all day. There's a lot of uh, going out after work to the pub or to the bar if you're in the states or whatever. I mean. I think a day doesn't pass where something stupid or funny doesn't happen. You know, it's hard to to think off the top of my head of a specific incident, and I don't want to shame anyone. But it's something I think as well I love about this job. For as stressful as it can be, as intense it can be, you have such a laugh all the time. You know, I mean, you know, you're all tired and you're all you know around each other all the time. But it's an amazing sense of humor, sense of camaraderie that happens where, yeah, you can make fun of each other in a, in a really wonderful way and uh, and it's all completely fine. So, yeah, I think a lot of funny and stupid things have probably happened after after 1 a.m., but um, yeah. to recall one specifically without being rude to anyone, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. the um, and Well, I suppose leading on from that then, anything kind of scary or terrifying happened to you along the way? You know, there's been a few instances where people have kind of hurt themselves pretty badly. And, and once you're, you know, in charge of a kitchen, in charge of a restaurant, that can be pretty scary. You know, I've had a couple of times where people have had a lot of hot oil thrown on their arms or, yeah. you know, things like that, where it's like a burn or something really bad where you're worried, like, okay, that's going to kind of fuck that guy up for a while, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's moments like that where you you feel your responsibility for, you know, some of the guys in the kitchen are 19 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's moments like that where they kind of scare you and, and shake you up a bit. And um, yeah. yeah, all things, I guess, more related to like the young guys in the team, they're, they're away from their families that maybe are in France or Italy or whatever. And, and you're responsible for them to a certain extent. And when you see them hurt themselves or do stupid, stupid things and, so yeah, there's been you know too many of those moments to recall. Yeah, I suppose they can come out of nowhere as well, right? And the um... but yeah, they always do when you don't expect it. Yeah. You hear someone scream like crazy, and and you just see something horrible. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're screaming because they've hurt themselves, not because they've slipped when they're putting the sauce on the plate. Yeah, cut themselves with uh, their finger off on a meat slicer. You know. As somehow managed to dip their whole hand in a deep fryer and oh, you know things like that that are super gnarly yeah that sounds like one of those moments that, that you do as a as a six-year-old where you ask yourself i wonder what happens when i do this yeah yeah it does but i mean i don't know things happen right when people are busy they're rushing you know as much yeah. as we try to be careful when it's super busy there's people you know yelling or whatnot like crazy things happen and it's, yeah. it's not fun ever absolutely Here's a really deep question for you. Okay. Um, you're excited now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. If uh, if left to your own devices, I'm sure that you, you get a lot of creative freedom where you are. But in terms of if you could take your culinary journey in any direction, where do you think you would explore? In what sense do you mean? Just uh, are you are you on the path, uh, the culinary path that you that you want to be? Do you think you've got more to uh, not learn per se? Because there's that restaurant again; it came up again. 
<laughs> because you're 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 I suppose you're you're always learning. There's always new things to learn. But you know, are you looking to stay doing what you're doing, or is there more I suppose exploration uh, for you to do as a chef? For me, the you know I've had people ask me before, like, hey, do you want to own your own restaurant and things like that? And it doesn't really appeal to me so much. And it's for the reason that what I love about this job is the the creative process, is the the working with food, you know, the touching the ingredients every day. And, you know, for me, what's I know is always going to keep me happy and make me content is being in a kitchen, creating, working on my cuisine and like for the moment what I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing is it's going to work every day working on new dishes trying to refine them building a team so I think uh wherever I am or wherever I go you know that's kind of the guideline to what makes me what makes me tick and what makes me happy so as long as you know the words you use creative freedom is uh, is there for me I think um I'll just continue to grow in that way and continue to be happy doing doing this job yeah what um well i'd normally ask people what what does the the next year hold but i guess getting reopened is um possibly high up the agenda i mean i think it's a pretty relevant question you know because everything is gonna is gonna change for for our industry now so yeah i think the next year it's gonna really be about adapting you know like we're gonna have to when we come out of this, see see what is the situation with with the uh, with our industry and how we need to adapt. You know, I see a lot of restaurants in France now starting to do takeaway and things like this, and and you know, three star Michelin restaurants. So it's going to be uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what we need to do to, to keep our staff paid, to keep the business going, and 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 to adapt to to make sure we can still run. So yeah, the next year I think will be challenging but interesting at the same time. Um, yeah, we have to yeah. see. No, absolutely. I think there's a, a a lot yet to figure out, right? I mean, here we are. It's the last day of April, and there's there are still too many unknowns, isn't there? Um, as oh, to yeah, what the other end looks like, we can only speculate uh, at this point. In time. Yeah, I think we're going to start to see what's happening in other countries that are a bit ahead of us, yeah. and then um, start to have a bit of a clearer picture. Yeah, absolutely. I um I did know actually you were you were I think you were supposed to do a pop up, weren't you, in Dubai in March? I assume that that didn't happen. I, I did the the event in Dubai, but yeah, I was meant meant to go to Singapore, Athens, Hong Kong, and yeah, a lot of a lot of uh you know collaboration dinners that have kind of been put on the back burner for the moment. You know, things that I hope will still come to fruition. Um, you know, cooking with friends around the world, I think it's super important for for our industry and for our creativity. But um, yeah, they'll just have to wait. But yeah, a bummer completely. Yeah. Where do they come about because people approach you to to ask you if you'd you'd come and do it or or how does that happen? Yeah, I mean, although the ones I've done so far, the greenhouse, like people contact through people they know and they, or they message me on Instagram and or chefs directly just send a message and say, you know, start up the conversation. And, you know, I think it's a really cool thing in our industry now, these kind of collaborative dinners where we get to make new friends, cook with other people, use different products. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. And it's, it's also kind of healthy to step outside of of your own restaurant, you know, to stop for a minute, go somewhere else, work with different ingredients, see other things. And, and it's, it's, it's good, I think, for when you come back. Yeah. I often wonder uh, how in places like the Middle East where 
there's not a lot of arable land. How do you work with seasonality in that? Do you just kind of make it up? When we were in D- Dubai, we got incredible uh, products, huh? Really? Oh my god, it was amazing! I was so surprised. Like they they get anything they want, like incredible. I mean, all of our product, you know, came from France or Japan or whatever, but they got everything super fresh. Right. I mean, I think you pay a lot for it, right? Yeah, but, sure. Uh, but everything we we wanted, like I gave the the list at the beginning. You know, you send your list of these are the products we want to work with um, for the menu we're gonna do. Tell me if it's possible. They're like, yeah, everything is fine. And uh, sure enough, like when I was there, everything came in top condition, which is which is incredible. I mean, I was I was totally shocked. Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, being I uh, went to the Maldives once upon a time, and you don't I think appreciate until you're somewhere like that the logistical challenge of getting high quality produce to an island in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I think the Maldives is tricky for products now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but never, nevertheless, I mean, the standard of food that they were um, they were churning out was in, incredible. But uh, yeah, it does it does get you thinking about the the logistical element of it's not just about growing the produce; it's about getting it. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely, it's a huge organization. Yeah. Okay, so what would you say to anybody who was considering a a career in a fine dining kitchen? I think it's an amazing interesting exciting job you just have to to love it 100 percent. you can't i think go into that because because you think about the outcome at the end because you know it seems attractive to be a top chef whatever you need to really have a a genuine deep love and passion for the for the craft of it and you know yeah success comes comes easily after if you love something because you invest yourself in it but um yeah, I think if it's something you really you love completely, then it, it's it's a wonderful journey. Yeah, yeah. I it, I think my my message on on that is always about it. Does take time to learn something fully. Like you can't just do a you know a service and think that you've kind of nailed it. You know, there's going to be all manner of things that will come up. Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 the marathon, not the sprint kind of situation for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, there's so much to learn in, in this craft of cooking that, I mean, you know, I feel so young still in this job. Like I have so many things to learn for sure and products to, to work with. Um, yeah, it's definitely something you need to be committed to for the long haul and not try to not try to go too fast too soon, I guess. No, absolutely. OK, if people wanted to kind of reach out and have a, a chew the fat with with Alex, how would they how would they do that? I know you're pretty prominent on Instagram. Yeah, I think that's the way now. Everyone just like sends a message on Instagram and, you know, be friendly and uh, you'll get a response. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of the best way. Yeah, I have to say you are you are active on there and um, you do respond to people from what I can see. Yeah. But it's cool now, you know, we don't have uh, PR or anything and it's become a great tool for us to kind of stay current and have people see what we're doing and then want to come to our restaurant so yeah yeah it's a cool are you taking these photos that appear on your instagram just on your phone some i mean you probably see there's a difference some look very good and those are photographers yeah, yeah. i was going to say otherwise you, you you've got a secondary career as a photographer oh uh, yeah yeah i wish i could do that no no it's it's a big job in itself you know that when we do these photo shoots you know just to do five dishes is uh is, is you know half a day of shooting so yeah no that's great all right uh well 
thanks for your time, Alex. It's been good to chat. Uh, thank you. No, it was really fun. Huh? Some really cool insight in there. And, um, well, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, hopefully see you soon. Good man. Thanks very much, Alex. Take care. Take care. Thanks. Bye. And there we have it. What a pleasure it was to chat to Alex, and it's clear that he's still on his way up in his career. One supremely talented guy. If you haven't been to the greenhouse, I cannot recommend it enough. It's a very special experience. Tune in again next week for more stories from hospitality, and don't forget to keep sharing those stories. See you next time.